Alright, so before we get started with this episode, I do have to give out a couple of thank yous to new Patreon subscribers. We have Ginger Schult, Jenny, Eric Stark, and I can't remember if I mentioned uh, Rachel Clemens on the last episode, but if not, thank you all very much. I greatly appreciate it. I hope you are enjoying the backlog of episodes, and I still have two more dropping this month. February is a four-episode month on Patreon, so anybody who would like to subscribe, uh, I think the lowest tier is $2 a month, and it goes from there. So check out the tiers at patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. Now, on with the show. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. You are talking about confirmed kills. You're officially accredited for 93 confirmed enemy. Yes, sir. But what about probables? We always hear about the confirmed when it comes to that kind of Italian. What about probables? Probables? It's over 300. Over 300. In one of his more famous missions, he crawled a thousand meters over open terrain during a three-day period while pursuing a North Vietnamese army general. In 1969, the armored vehicle he was traveling in struck a landmine. He sustained burns over 90% of his body, but that didn't stop him from pulling seven Marines from the burning wreckage before taking inventory of his own injuries. Hathcock rejected any commendation for his bravery. The year is 1966, and on the other side of the world, in the jungles of Vietnam, U.S. forces are tangled knee-deep in an unconventional war against an elusive and often hidden enemy. In the densely wooded hills, 16 clicks southwest of Da Nang, South Vietnam. Outside the U.S. base, Camp Muir, a.k.a. Hill 55. A U.S. Marine sniper team has found a sniper's nest belonging to one of the NVA's deadliest shooters. Hathcock's shot down a scope is one of the most famous shots a marksman has ever made. Hurried and in the face of death, Carlos managed to hit a spot the size of a silver dollar at almost 500 yards. On the mission is spotter Corporal John Burke and gunnery sergeant and sniper Carlos Hathcock, known as Whitefeather to the Viet Cong. And the target has been waiting for them. One of your uh, famous encounters was uh, a counter-sniper engagement in which you had to outthink a very professional North Vietnamese sniper. Yes, sir. Why don't you tell me that story? This North Vietnamese sniper was sent down there to get me, and uh, which I really didn't appreciate. Very cagey, very smart individual, and I figured he was close to being as good as I was, but there ain't no way. Ain't nobody that good. And you got to think like that too. You got to think like that. 
I was just the quickest on the trigger, otherwise they had to kill me. How do you know that? Excuse me? How do you know that otherwise he would have killed you? Oh, how do I know he would have killed me? Because I, sh I shot right through his scope, right straight through his scope, didn't touch side. So for those of you in my Facebook group, you do know that this series has been turned into a three-part series as opposed to a two-part series and that's because I like providing information and I found a bunch of it so that's the way it goes so by mid 1966 he already has dozens of kills all right to his credit uh, you know he's got a couple hundred probables at this point this is when he runs into a person known as Apache. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to document a couple of his bigger kills. And then I'm going to, in part three, I'm going to document a couple of other kills and certain incidents that are what built his legend. And then I'm going to go into like his life after the Marine Corps and stuff like that. Because the dude didn't stop after he got out of the Marines. Uh, he's a pretty amazing man, and he did a lot for the military. Again, shout out to all the service members, anybody who ever served their country. Uh, I don't give a shit what country you're from, what branch. The fact that you're willing to go out and be a civil servant, serve your country, your county, your city, I don't care what the case may be, that definitely uh, you have my respect, and I, I lo absolutely love that. So um, thank you all very, very much, and, and I hope you're enjoying this series. So Apache was a female Viet Cong platoon leader, and like I said, she was known as the Apache Woman. And she had a reputation for torturing U.S. Marines. She would take them as prisoners of war, and she would torture them. That was until she got around Hill 55, which is where Carlos Hathcock was stationed. Uh, she was an interrogator. She was a sniper. She had a reputation. She was not even known for any kind of leadership. She was not known for her sniper skills. She was straight up known for her hatred toward the American GIs. She was known for torturing them. Uh, one of her signature things that she would do was she would place herself and a prisoner that she was torturing within earshot of a U.S. base. And she would do this to make sure that the U.S. soldiers on this base would hear her victims' screams. Even if the Americans didn't take the bait by running toward, you know, the GI to save him, uh, you know, in which point, like, one of her snipers, she was in charge of a whole platoon, like I said, one of her snipers could kill uh, anybody trying to save any kind of troop. If they didn't do that, they were forced to listen to a brother-in-arms being tortured and left to die. Okay. Now, during her reign of terror, Americans, when they would recover these bodies, she would cut off their eyelids, their fucking eyelids, and she kept them those as trophies. She kept their eyelids as trophies. 
they would find uh, young GIs that were skinned alive. They would have fingernails missing. Uh, she made it a point to castrate all of them as well. Like, that was her thing. She castrated all of them. She would also leave them to bleed to death. She would make sure that they stayed alive through all this torture. And then basically let them go knowing that they weren't going to live. Or they, you know, they all would die soon after. Now, Apache was overheard at one point in time talking to one of her victims now this is an excerpt from the book marine sniper 93 confirmed kills by charles henderson this is what she has heard saying quote you cherry boy i think maybe no you get plenty pussy back stateside yeah you get vietnamese pussy too i think you do you go china beach swimming fuck plenty you like get cherry pussy. Plenty American GI like cherry pussy. Fuck many young girl. Take cherry pussy. True. I know true. You motherfucker GI. You know fuck no more. As she sang this, she approached this GI with a long curved knife in her hand. She takes his genitals in her left hand. She jammed the blade's point beneath the base of his penis, and she pulled the knife with one sweeping circular cut, and she cut both his testicles and penis off in one handful of flesh, and there's just blood gushing all over the place. And she says, while she's laughing, quote, Run, G.I., maybe you live, you find doctor in time. Run to wire. We watch Marines shoot you, motherfucker. End quote. Hathcock was stationed within earshot of this. And as you know from part one, and let me tell you something, even after you hear part two, after you hear part three, there's a reason this guy is a fucking legend, okay? Hathcock's hearing all this. And he listens. He can hear this this young American GI just screaming in torturous pain just all night into the morning. When she ended up releasing him, she released him at the at the edge of the forest. By this point in time, she had skinned him. She had literally cut off most of his skin while he's still alive. And by the time he hit the hill's concertina wire, um, he had collapsed and died from his injuries. After this, Carlos Hathcock was, he said, you know, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Like, this shit needs to stop. Because they had listened to this. They had seen this previously. A few days later, he and a spotter... They get the opportunity that they're looking for. And they spotted a sniper platoon about 700 yards away. And Hathcock sends a bullet first into Apache's neck, then into her torso. Okay, and she ends up rolling and ends up dying 
And what he says is, quote, We were in the midst of switching rifles. We saw them. I saw a group coming, five of them. I saw her squat to pee. That's how I knew it was her. They tried to get her to stop, but she didn't stop. I stopped her. And I put one extra in her for good measure. End quote. Now the shots that he did fire... They completely shattered Apache's spine and blew out all of her lower organs. And this wasn't just a kill for Halfcock. This was what they refer to as a moral victory. Because she was known. She had a reputation. For the troops, you know, this was, it was a morale booster, okay? Uh, for Halfcock, you know, justice was served. This was somebody who brutally tortured people, brutally tortured them. And he still referred to this until the day he died. He referred to this as, quote unquote, the best shot I ever made, end quote. And he was very satisfied with with taking this kill shot. And with killing Apache, I'm going to go ahead and leave you with how he says it happened. And that was the story of Apache. No, I really don't like to talk about her, to tell you the truth. But every time you say something about her, I'll see that kid come to the water. That was the kid that uh, she cut up? Yes. Uh, Skint. She was a... I don't like these bad words. <laughs> she was a very bad woman. A very bad woman. Had her own sniper platoon down there. And I think they were out to get all my snipers, myself, everybody. And she had been there because we took over from the 3rd Division. And uh, she had been there when the 1st Division took over. And she just continued to march. She had been torturing a lot of people prior to us getting there. And that was a primary objective, kind of, for me. And uh, I was in her own backyard. She was tromping out of mine, and I didn't like that. And she skipped that one kid that she'd captured. All night, half the next day. And uh, you come running to the wire, happened to be on a bunker, and was observing and listening. And oh, that morning she turned him loose. He came to the war and died right in the war. This one was personal. This one's a very, very personal. Very personal. And when I got that lady, which was a kind of a happenstance, you know, uh, E.J. Lane, Captain E.J. Lane and I, Captain E.J. Lane was my officer in charge. And uh, he and I were out on the position. And we saw a hamburger coming across. And I think I had the rifle that time. And, we were in the midst of switching, switching rifles, and I saw him, EJ saw him, and we were kind of wrestling for the rifle, you know. Give me that, no, give me that, give me that, I'll take a shot. You know, it was a comedy of errors, all of thought it was a comedy of errors. And of course, bad guy got away. <laughs> and he must have went back and told his boss, and there was a little low there, and we had on 
always had that. And uh, saw her coming, saw the group coming, and about five of them. And uh, saw her squat down to Tinkle. And I ascertained it was her. And EJ called in Artie, turn her loose. And they caught him behind them, actually. And they run right down that little knoll, right towards us. Mistake. <laughs> and uh, the guy in front of her was trying to get her to stop. Because they were running right towards us where, we, where they'd seen us before. <sighs> he was trying to get her to stop. She didn't. But I stopped her. I put one extra for good measure, because I, that was the best shot I ever made, I think. Best shot I ever made. As you guys know, true crime, mysteries, history, paranormal, all that good stuff is my passion. But even I need an occasional break every now and then, so when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is the game Best Fiends. Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it's a casual game anyone can play, but, but definitely made for adults. You can spend as much or as little time as you'd like in the game. It's super fun, it's super easy to play, it's got like a tutorial that teaches you like how to play it. Personally, when I started, uh, I spent roughly two to three days playing this game, alright? Not even gonna lie, I got to... Uh, you know, up to level about 85, okay? I was trying to hit level triple digits, man. I was trying to go to level 100. And yeah, in about two, two and a half days, I made it to level 85. That's how fun this game is. And it's really, really cool because I can play with my boys. My boys enjoy playing it as well. I mean, it's really bright colors. Like, the visual design is really good. What keeps me interested in this five-star game, which I did actually rate at five stars, too... You know, if you can't make it towards a certain level, you, you get determined. It's like, okay, I'm going to figure this out because it literally is like a puzzle, but it's just way more involved. And I mean, you have different characters that you can get. You can upgrade all this stuff. You know, you got most of the characters are like bugs. Some of them are slugs, you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> you really should check it out. It is a really fun game because like I said, I can play it sit, sitting here by myself. But I can also play it with my boys like they play it, and they love it too. Super, super fun. And it's basically a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players. And it's really great because I literally can play this game anywhere. You can play offline, which is great. Uh, I've played it, you know, on road trips, obviously, when I'm pulled over taking a small break or whatever. I've collected a lot, a lot of characters in order to get to level 85. I can tell you that right now. Now, you can engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Super cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads... This 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's basically friends without the R. Okay? It's Best Fiends. 
And the best part, like with a hundred million downloads, honestly, that doesn't even mean there's a hundred million players. That means it's been downloaded a hundred million times. I mean, it's free to download. I'm literally obsessed with this game. It's, (laughs) it's so much fun. I really don't get into playing games on my phone very often, but when I downloaded this, it's definitely a nice break from from getting away from true crime and you know all the horrible things I have to look into on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So definitely go check it out. Go check out Best Fiends. Like I said, it's free to download. Over 100 million downloads right now. I think you might like it. Now, the only time that Hathcock removed the white feather from his bush hat uh, while he was deployed in Vietnam was during a volunteer mission days before the end of his first deployment and where he crawled over 1,500 yards over the course of about three days. This is something we are going to get in detail about in part three. So this was while he was hunting down a, uh, a general you know, and, and I mean, it got to the point he was not even informed of the details of the mission until he accepted it. Like they literally came up to this dude. and They're like, listen, there's a mission with a low survival rate. It's a general. Will you take it or leave it? That's literally pretty much all they said. And as soon as he accepted it, then they gave him the details and he went alone. He went alone on this mission, and the details of this mission are fucking insane. And like I said, you'll hear all about that in part three. But, I mean, this dude crawled inch by inch over the course of three days and I think four nights. It is insane, okay? So after he starts getting a reputation, um, the, the Viet... <laughs> The Vietnamese place a bounty on this dude's head for about $30,000, okay? And you got to remember, this is 1967. This is U.S. money, $30,000 in Vietnam. And he had killed so many of their men that they were willing to do anything that it took to stop this guy, okay? Uh, U.S. snipers in Vietnam, the good ones, ranged anywhere from eight to $2,000 if you killed them, all right? He was so good, they offered $30,000 U.S., and like I said, for a normal U.S. sniper during Vietnam, you would get a range from anywhere from $8 to to $2,000. White Feather was worth $30,000. If that tells you anything about the significance of what this guy was doing out here. So a platoon of Vietnamese snipers end up sending out a team to hunt down White Feather. So what Carlos Hathcock's fellow Marines did, and this is probably one of the coolest things ever, okay? They all decided to put a white feather in their hats, too. So there's a whole platoon of Marines out here wearing white feathers in their hats. And they knew that they had to protect him because they knew that if he died, the impact that it had on Hill 55, if if they didn't protect him, 
they were putting themselves in danger because the Vietnamese had snipers out here that are just literally picking off American soldiers left and right, just picking them off, bam, bam, bam. So they're like, okay, they got word that they had sent out that they had this bounty on Hathcock, and they're like, all right, let's all fucking put white feathers in our hats. Let's distract them. Let's deceive these guys. We got to protect Hathcock because Hathcock's out here getting it done, right? You know, they're trying to confuse all the counter snipers. And this is when the story of Cobra comes about. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Carlos Hathcock, you know that the story of him and Cobra is probably one of the most amazing stories and one of the most amazing shots that has ever been documented in American military history. If you've ever seen the movie Sniper by uh, stars uh, Tom Berenger, they have that shot in there. That that movie is based off of the real life shot. So Hathcock knows that he's wanted. But it does not even phase him at all. Okay, now he goes out. He's still stalking people. He's still getting his job done. But the Vietnamese also have a guy... And isn't like I said, he's referred to as Cobra. Nobody really knows his real name. And they decide to send this guy out after Carlos Athcock. And the thing about it was, is there was an article written in, it was either a magazine or a newsletter called Sea Tiger. Okay, that's when they found out where Carlos Athcock was. And they knew his identity. So the Vietnamese send out a sniper, I mean the best guy they got, and they send him to literally draw out Carlos Hathcock and, you know, basically just don't stop until you kill this guy. Now, once he arrives, like his whole plan, once he arrives uh, along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, you know, his whole goal is to lure Carlos Hathcock out and they would straight up have a duel on Cobra's terms. At this point, like one well-aimed shot is going to determine who was the best sniper. Now, we do not know. Nobody ever found out the name of the North Vietnamese sniper. Nobody knows exactly when he departed for South Vietnam or how many he would or did kill before he arrived at Hill 55. But like I said, the guy found out about Carlos Hathcock when the uh, the newsletter or or newspaper uh, re- called the Sea Tiger um, they printed this whole story about Carlos Hathcock, and that pretty much gave away his identity. And like I said, man, they they picked handpicked this one dude to go after him and fucking kill Carlos Hathcock. So. Carlos Hathcock doesn't know how famous he was to the North Vietnamese. He doesn't realize that his stature is extremely just inflated and how famous he is. Because like I said, by now, he's he has dozens of kills. Okay, it's not like he just killed one, two, or three guys. 
Like he's probably got at this point two or three dozen confirmed kills under his belt. And in order to have a confirmed kill, okay, you have to have a third party officer go and look at the body and confirm the kill. Okay, that's why that's the difference between confirmed kills and probables because Carlos Hathcock had in between 300 and 400 kills total. Only 93 of them were confirmed. The other ones were probables because they couldn't have that third-party officer confirm those kills. So when you hear them, that's the difference. That's not saying they didn't happen. That's just saying that they couldn't confirm them from a third-party officer. All right, because there's a lot of missions that Carlos Hathcock did where he was the only guy. And these people did die, but it couldn't be confirmed because he was so deep in enemy territory that they weren't going to send, the Americans weren't going to send an officer in there to confirm these kills, all right? That's that's the difference, though. That's the difference. Um, at one point in time, Carlos Hathcock was borrowed by the CIA to kill a French guy who was an interrogator. You know what I mean for the for the NVA. Carlos Hathcock was it. Okay. He was it. But still, he's heading out to the field almost every day with his spotter, and he's just laying there in the bushes waiting, you know, and uh you know, when when the enemies are there, Carlos Hathcock is taking it, man. He's getting it done. Um he would work himself to exhaustion. You know, he was just wanting to make sure that he got the bad guys before they could kill his fellow Marines. And everybody who watched him knew about his reputation and knew that it was well, well deserved because he was not a half-asser. Like, for those of you who listened to part one, which I'm pretty fucking sure you did, I, I explained how dedicated this guy was. And when he got into the fleet, when he got into that sniper unit, and when he became a sniper, it didn't lower his standards. It only made him more dedicated. So if you can imagine Carlos, you know, when he just gets into the fleet or when he's, you know, doing all that stuff in his early days, when he becomes a sniper, like full time, he's 10 times more determined than he was before. Now, what the Cobra does is he goes around to Hill 55, where Carlos Hathcock, known as Whitefeather, is stationed. And what he's doing is Cobra starts picking off Marines, just one by one. And all he's doing is he's trying to draw out Hathcock. Basically, he just keeps picking them off one by one. And he's like, if I kill enough of them... That motherfucker's gonna know I'm here. And Carlos, he fucking knows he's there. You know what I mean? And he's sitting there and he's like, you know, I just want this guy to come after me. Got to the point where he took enough lives and Carlos Hathcock is like, alright, we're fucking done. Like, I'm going after this dude. And the Cobra retreats back into the jungle. Hathcock and a spotter, a guy by the name of John Burke, disappeared into the jungle and this is just as sunrise is is coming um two times during the day that Hathcock liked to snipe 
was either early evening or early morning because of the sun. Okay, it was just his preferences. You know, that's how it went. So as him and John Burke are going out, you know, the temperature's rising. They're warming. They're they're crawling on their bellies getting out there, okay? And they're they're into the thick green, going over hills, you know, little valleys. I mean, they're in chest-high weeds, all this shit. Now, what the Cobra does is he deliberately leaves a trail knowing that Carlos Hathcock, White Feather, would see it. Basically, like, he would avoid it. Even when you hear Carlos Hathcock talk about him, he actually talks about him with a lot of respect. Because the dude was smart, and even Carlos Hathcock is like, no, he was a smart individual. He he knew what he was doing. But it started raining at one point, you know, and Hathcock ends up not showing. So he knows that... It's going to come down because that's when Cobra realized that Hathcock was just as smart as he was because he's not falling for any of these traps. He's not falling for these easy clues, you know, on where he is, where his position is and all this shit. As soon as Hathcock gets to the Cobra's trail, he realizes it's a trap. So he began working his way away from the trail and he's trying to flank him. He's trying to come around the side. Okay, and uh, what happens is Carlos Hathcock makes a mistake, and he steps on this log, and the the cobra heard it, so he knows his position, and he started sighting in, okay, and he saw the white feather, and he drew up, and he fired a shot, and uh, John Burke gets hit, quote-unquote hit, so they rolled onto the ground, and out of the field of view... And he's laying next to Hathcock, and basically Hathcock's already looking for the entry wound. He's like, okay, you know, and he felt liquid, but it wasn't blood, it was actually water, okay, because the cobra had shot into Burke's canteen, and Hathcock tells him, quote, you ain't hurt, he just killed your canteen, end quote, and he says, you know, like, come on, you know, let's go. Uh, so they begin crawling again, and they're working their way up this hill where the cobra's original position was. By now, both these two people, the cobra and Hathcock, had, they've been literally stalking each other for hours. And what they're looking for is Carlos Hathcock is looking for a position to where... Uh, you know, if I was this guy, where would I be? And the Cobra's doing the same exact thing, okay? So, the Cobra at this point is super disappointed, you know? He he took a shot, he didn't get a kill, and he just moves kind of deeper into the grouse, grass, and he finds this spot where he could watch and uh, just kind of watch to see if they're coming down the hill. And he's looking to where, okay, if I was a sniper, where would I be coming out at? And that's basically where Cobra's perched up. You know, he's watching this fucking hill, right? And Hathcock and Burke, his spotter, they stayed away from the edge, okay? And the sun kind of crossed, and uh, it began, you know, coming down a little bit. And they had shadows to the back of them. So Hathcock looks across, and he finds this spot where he could kind of take a scope and he could just kind of scan over hundreds of meters of this huge clearing beneath him without being seen. 
And it was then that he saw one of the strangest things ever. So let me tell you about this really awesome sponsor that I got. And for all you people who are into books, you're going to absolutely love Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible credits from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. To kick off 2020, they are focusing on the new year, new you. They have plenty of content that can help all of the MC listeners, whether it's getting fit, finishing more books, becoming a better parent, better leader, better person, or anybody who just likes reading books who doesn't have the time to. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. You can listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, it's fine. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you want, which is awesome because that's usually what I do. I usually save my credits over the course of time and then I'll get use all those credits at one point in time, bam, like when I have that, you know, few days of free time and I'm busy or I'm traveling, bam, I got Audible in my ears. I have no worries whatsoever. It, for those of you who are listening to this series about Carlos Hathcock, dude, they have all kinds of books about history. They have all kinds of books about crime. They have all kinds of classic literature, too. And the best part is they also offer podcasts. They have guided wellness programs. They have theatrical performances. They have A-list comedy. They have audible originals that you won't find anywhere else. They have thousands of titles. Here's a fun fact for you. If you listened to every single title on Audible, you'd be listening to Audible for more than three centuries. Unless you dial up your narration speed, obviously. That is a lot of content. Audible helps people get more stories and information through the gift of found time, allowing people to listen while commuting, while cooking, exercising, gardening, just relaxing at home, folding laundry. You know, a recent Pew study found that 27% of adults say they haven't read a single book in the past year, up from, you know, 19% in 2011. That's pretty drastic change, okay? Lack of time is the main reason for that. And here's the best part. Go to audible.com slash mcpodcast or you can just get on your phone and text mcpodcast to 500-500. It's so freaking easy. And the best part is, like I said, there are so many titles. And you guys cannot tell me when you're sitting at work, you run out of podcasts, whatever the case might be. Dude. Audible offers so many different things, and it's super easy. So go to audible.com slash mcpodcast or text mcpodcast to 500-500 and go check it out right now because I'm just like you guys. I'm a busy person. I don't have time to literally sit here and read books. 
So while I'm doing other stuff, I do like listening to them. It's so much easier, so much faster, and there's so much to choose from at Audible. So like I said, audible.com slash mcpodcast, or just text mcpodcast to 500-500 and go check it out today. He had the sun behind his back, and he saw a glint. He saw a glint of light in the high grass. And it disappeared at first, and then came back, and it was just this flash of bright light. And Hathcock recognized it. And they had already covered, and he could see nothing else, right? So he decided to go for it. And he took his crosshairs of his Winchester Model 7030.06 bolt action, and he squeezes the trigger. At that point, a 173-grain Sierra boat tail bullet goes through the Cobra's scope without touching the sides at all, straight through his scope. And it explodes into his right eye and into the Cobra's brain. I mean, blood's everywhere. The thing about it is, is he took the shot, and he took it on chance. He didn't know what that glint of light was. He kind of went by his gut feeling, and he's like, this has got to be, this has got to be something. So him and Burke, they go to check their quote-unquote kill. And the thing is, they don't even fucking know if they killed this guy or not. So, I mean, the Cobra could be fucking alive and literally just waiting for them. But they had to go check. And on the way there, they're trying to avoid booby traps. They're trying to avoid mines. Like, this is no easy task, okay? So they re- they ended up reaching the Cobra. And Hathcock realized that he had pretty much made a one in a million shot. And kind of dawned on him as he's, as he's like studying the scope and look, he looks at Burke and he says, what's the only way I could make this shot? And that's a quote. What's the only way I can make this shot? And Burke says, what do you mean? And Hathcock says, quote, think about it. He had to be looking through his scope right at me for this to happen. I was just the quickest on the trigger, end quote. Then Hathcock goes on and says, this guy was good, about as hard as they come. So they start searching his pockets and shit, and they found a map of Hill 55. So they knew this was their guy. And they took his rifle and ammunition and headed back, you know, back to uh, base camp. Hathcock ended up tagging that weapon. Like, he kept it. He took it with him. And he was going to keep it as a souvenir, Uh, But unfortunately, after he tagged it and turned it into the armory, it was never seen again, which, you know, is absolutely ridiculously sad. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave you with with his description on what happened. One of your uh, famous encounters was uh, a counter sniper engagement in which you had to outthink a very professional North Vietnamese sniper. Yes, sir. Why don't yeah. you tell me that story? Well, it's just that uh, he was doing a bad job. This North Vietnamese sniper was sent down there to get me, which I really didn't appreciate. 
and he was doing a bad job on a hill. I called a gunner sergeant right outside my door with my hooch, and uh, I watched him die. And uh, took a bow right then. I was going to get him somehow or another. And uh, I left Vietnam the first time with 86 confirmed and a whole gob of probables. And I figured I was a little bit better than what they were. So, just a smidge, because I was still alive. And, uh, and got John Burke, when he started shooting another time, I got John Burke, who was my partner, and we went out. And no, it wasn't John, it was another partner. And uh, we went out, and we trailed him. I trailed him. As a team leader, I trailed him. He very cagey, very smart individual. And I figured he was close to being as good as I was, but there ain't no way. Ain't nobody that good. So, and you got to think like that, too. you got to think like that. And... I made a mistake. I fell on an old rotted tree, and he made a shot and hit my partner's canteen. And Burke and I both thought he was hit with all the warmness running down over his legs and stuff. And uh, I noticed the hole in his canteen. You ain't hurt. <laughs> you ain't hurt just to kill the devil out of your canteen. That's all. And we moseyed around and mingled around, and he started running. The bad guy started running then. And we worked around to where I was in his old spot. He was in my old spot, which was a bad thing for him because he was facing the sun by that time. That was the afternoon by then. And uh, the sun glanced off his lens of the scope, I guess, and which I didn't know at that time. But I saw the glint. I shot it where the glint was. And it just happened to be the right time. And by looks of things, I was just the quickest on the trigger. Otherwise, they had to kill me. How do you know that? Excuse me? How do you know that otherwise he would have killed you? Oh, how do I know he would have killed me? Because I, I shot right through his scope, right straight through his scope. Didn't touch the sides. Didn't touch the sides. And it didn't do his eyesight no good in that side either. So, with that all, all that behind us, I hope you enjoyed part two. There is going to be a part three where, like I said, we're going to talk about him killing the general, which is an, an insane story. One of the other reasons, main reasons, that he's considered a legend. And uh, we're going to talk about his life after the Marines in part three. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you on the flip side. Bye.